better, what platforms are better. And I, and I guess that everyone has their own opinion. Um, everyone kind of leans towards something they're more familiar with. But talking there about Tableau, um, and you guys have clearly had a lot of experience working with Tableau, it feels comfortable and familiar and does a lot of great stuff. But what about the likes of Power BI and Click? Does that mean you just never touch that? Or, or do you still play around with those tools as well? Or? I personally, I, I brushed up against Click um, while I was at EMI. And it was in early state. I mean, I'm sure it's developed a lot since then, but I haven't really seen it since then. So it's, it's hard to say. Tableau is, Tableau is a very friendly environment, which I like a lot. Um, Click, I, oh, I only know about it secondhand. Um, Power BI I've used more. Um, be frank about about Power BI. It just it just feels behind. Um, right. It doesn't feel finished to me. So you, you try stuff and it breaks. Um, it it also doesn't have the same consistent feel all the way through it. So so Tableau is essentially a pivot table. Yeah. Just on steroids that, that lets you do some beautiful things and like. And there is a, there's a consistent approach to the way that it treats data in the way that it visualizes where you use power bi and kind of every chart module does what that chart module does yeah but there's no there's no particular consistency there's no kind of philosophy of data behind it in the same way and philosophy of biz in the same way so okay. it's fine if yeah. it's in your company you can make nice reports with it yeah um the little data prep engine behind it is is nice um it's probably not the thing to use for Really, really big processing, but it's it's there. It's fine. I feel like I've kind of picked my favourite. <laughs> That's kind of where we are. Yeah. Power BI is all right. It, it it feels a few years behind. Yeah. I think is the key thing, and that and that philosophy missing is a big thing for me. Yeah. That it doesn't. It yeah, it doesn't hold together in a consistent way in the same way as Tableau does. And what what would you say? I, I agree. I've not used Power BI really. Uh, we have we have a couple of seats in GHD that use it, but. Um, that's on the finance side, I think it's just a legacy, legacy system that's been there and I don't, don't really have any um, desire to use it really. Um, tab Tableau for me does, does everything I need it to do, does it really well and quite frankly you know you're getting four updates a year or something like that, quite, quite major updates and yeah. they're continuously pushing this product and, and developing it and making it better. Um, I mean even you know just a year or two ago it was down here, you know, it's up here, you know, it's, it's incredible. And how do you think that, because they've just been bought by Salesforce recently, mm. is that going to change things, I guess, for I really the better? Yeah. I hope it doesn't go down, yeah. that's all I would say. Yeah. I hope it continues to, to, to do what they do, and they seem to do that quite well. Um, but, I, but if Salesforce supports it, they really position themselves as the CRM tool that everyone should use. Yeah. So they're not going to they're not gonna buy a pub, are they? They're going to keep it going. Yeah. When you look at things like machine learning, AI, um, we as a, as a recruiter clearly speak to a lot of um, data people that, that want to go in that direction. Um, what would you say to um, a data analyst um, who's on that journey, wants to become a data scientist? How, what, what would you say to them in terms of, okay, this is where you need to start? Um, you need to start by doing that. Yeah. with a lot of this stuff, you've got to try it. Um, because certainly, it's, it's a, you, you touched on a pet hate of mine there, actually, of uh, <laughs> AI and machine learning being used completely interchangeably. AI and machine learning. Yeah, true. I 
think there's uh, the, the big difference for me. One of them exists and the other one doesn't. So there's no <laughs> such thing as AI outside movies. There, there is machine learning. Um, Got to try it. You know, personally, I, I got very into football data a while yeah. back. Yeah. Um, almost as a playground to, yeah. to try stuff. And then you kind of go, well, why don't I build a TensorFlow model or some of this to find out how TensorFlow works? You know, and you, you get into whichever library you want. You try things. Yeah. Um, whether whether that's the drag and drop ones in the cloud and you just want to bounce stuff off and see what happens. Um, but if you've got a basic stats grounding, what they do, there's some really approachable stuff online about how how they work. Not not the hardcore maths of how they work, but more the feel of how they work. And mm. um, they're not that impenetrable, really. Mm. You know how image recognition works yeah. at a high level is fine, and you can go get a little tutorial, and you can build yourself a little engine that recognises cats or cars or whatever you, you know, whatever you like. So you've got to. I think with all of this stuff, if you're interested, you know, you download the software and you try it, and it, it's the big difference between the people who love and the people who don't. I think is you know you need to. You're probably not going to get time at work. So you've got to find something you're passionate about yeah. and go and analyse it at yeah. home. Yeah. You know? And if you want to build a machine learning model, go, go build one. It's not that hard. Yeah. Loads of tutorials, like I said. So certainly for me, that's how I got into it. It happened to be through football and mucked about with other bits of data as well. But find a playground and, and try stuff. Is that what you found yourself then, Jonathan, just kind of getting into data? It was a case where somebody said, right, we need to do this, and you just kind of go, okay, you probably didn't know how to do it, but you just went away and tried it, and then you learned, and you... Uh, yeah, there was a lot of that, yeah. Yeah, <coughs> there, there was a lot of that. I mean, going back eight, eight years or so, um, you know, there was... And even back then, there was still a lot of stuff out on the internet, if you, if you looked mm. for it, um, that, that you could use to, to kind of uh, to help yourself. Um, I was... You know, the situation I described at the beginning, um, the, they were quite good with me for the first year. They kind of let me, you know, just kind of learn my own way and get, get into it. And they, you know, they weren't hiring anyone else. So, so you know, I was stuck. Um, so I had to learn uh, from, from the ground up, basically teach myself. And yeah. so it's, yeah, there was books. Um, guys like uh, Avinash and Simo Harbour for the technical side, Avinash for more of the, strategy and, and, and kind of understanding your place in, in the digital world um, and, and then just yeah doing um, as, as Neil said you just have to get your hands dirty and get in there and get involved um, I see a lot of uh, <coughs> young youngsters coming up and um, they don't necessarily want to get their, their hands dirty um, yeah. and I think that's a problem uh, you absolutely have to um, just nail it day in and day out yeah. okay I would say the one, the one thing I wish I had done through that process was, you know, you, you quite often talk about data science as this overlap of kind of data biz and programming and stats. And I very much came at it from the stats side, so mm -hmm. kind of nutrition. I think a lot of people do that, you know, you come as a, from an analytical background mm -hmm. and go, well, I'm kind of learning to code. Is much, much earlier, I'm getting there now, but much, much earlier going, there are processes and a history to how you code properly mm. and you can hack for ages but yeah. it's so worth doing the basics of yeah. like the, the basics of git and how you structure code properly and how you build packages and functions and things like that so it's kind of that stuff i did no book reading on that whatsoever oh, yeah. i just <laughs> kind of went i know excel macros and dived in 
yeah. and made a mess. And um, that's the one thing where I would say you you can jump yourself ahead by getting a little bit. If you, if that's if that's not your background coding, by doing a little bit of formal tuition, either either book learning or going to a couple of courses, you you can save yourself months and months and months of pain by just learning to do things better, quicker. Yeah. Um, and if you're coming at it the other way and you're a coder, you need stats one and one. Right. Like, yeah, you can't kind of well you can you can get a feel for it in the same way, but it's exactly the same thing. You you need university level stats to, to give you a grounding in how this stuff works mm. and, and kind of how you how the actual modeling side works because you can build beautiful code and apps but your stats is is weaker yeah and get the get the formal bit around that yeah. no I, I, we we see a lot of candidates who have that that background whether it be maths physics at degree level and then um we've seen obviously a lot of phd students who have come from, you know, seven years academic background, either in physics or chemistry or biology, or and then move into data science, and they're coming straight into the market and calling themselves a data science scientist. Sorry, is that is that is that right? Do you think do do do, the, do those? Is it harder for a PhD graduate who's got that long academic background to come in to a commercial environment? And immediately make an impact, as opposed to a data analyst who's kind of earned their stripes and done a lot of the, the sort of heavy lifting. I, it's different, yeah. certainly. Um, I think it depends probably where you're coming into. If, if you're coming into yeah, the, the Google search algorithm and you're being given a very, very clearly defined problem of optimise this better. You know, or I guess I've got no experience with these, these other industries, but you're going into aerospace and yeah. you got a PhD in aerodynamics and what kind of great because you, you, you've got a very specific problem and the domain knowledge to solve it, mm. and that's fine. If you're going into general business analysis, then that domain knowledge is, is hugely valuable, yeah. Um, and I think well, you're not going to have it, you know, yeah. you, you, if you've been an academic for 10 years, yeah, you've got other great things, but you, you don't have. World. I was thinking the other day actually you can you can get away with as I am being a average coder at best but an average coder who has very specific domain knowledge in a certain <laughs> industry because you can solve problems yes you know whereas I can't build mobile apps and I'm not I'm not a super coder but you, you're in a domain where you're kind of one of the better coders in that very specific area and the better data scientists and you can make a lot of progress that way so the domain knowledge is interesting there's a the, we, we see a lot of candidates that are either junior data analysts junior data scientists ones with just very very pure academic background or some that have that programming background Do you, and, and that's clearly an advantage isn't it if you've got that yeah coding way of thinking yes and yeah. we, we hire for it yeah you know so if, you, if you're coming out of university and um, any young people who might be watching podcasts and <laughs> um, learn R or Python. Yeah. We, we absolutely hire for that now. Uh, if not that, the ability that we think this person's going to be able to learn it very, very quickly, but we hire for it. And Python's massively in demand, but it's a, a language that's been around for a long, long time. It kind of feels like it's finding its feet 
really. It's it's almost the Premier League, you know, as opposed to Java or some of the uh, more I guess traditional. It's found a home, man. Yeah, the yeah. science and yeah. it's, it's suddenly the uh, the darling child of, of the industry. I mean, it's it's why why is that though? Um, I don't know. Do you use Python more than I do? <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, uh, I think I think. It's. Um, I wouldn't say it was on the same level as kind of the you know the these artificial buzzwords that we that we see thrown about a lot. Um, we talked about attribution a little while ago um, and how that kind of ebbs and flows with you know, people get really excited about it. We need it. We've got to have it, and then they realise at some point it's very difficult, and you know you're not really getting too much out of it. Um, with with the Python craze, I think people are going equating data science and doing amazing things with data science with with Python uh, because they go hand in hand. And you know, if you're doing, um, if you want, if you want, if you're hiring someone to do uh, build an attribution model for you internally, um, you know, well, you can do it in Python. Um, so you need someone who's very skilled in Python to go and do that. Um, and I think that's where this kind of buzz is being generated yeah. about about having Python skills. And I think it's founded. I, you know, I'm not saying it's not founded. Um, to the point where we've got huge data sets, we're working in cloud environments, we've got the ability to, to really interrogate it with things like R and Python, and you know, we're progressing, we're evolving as an industry, and now we're at that point where we're going, yeah, that, these are now skills that are going to help us. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's what's happening. I think it's a, from, from the coding I've done in it, it's a, it's a very friendly, consistent language, mm. um, which I think is possibly what's what's made it approachable and, and it, it's very extensible as well so you know it, it grabbed onto the machine learning libraries that it has and the data manipulation libraries yeah. that it has and because it's I guess clean and approachable yeah. and then it has the, the data handling plugins it's a natural natural place yeah. um, I'd argue you know R is more of a natural home for data in that it, it's ground up a on the ground up rather a, a stats language you know yeah. moving data around is intrinsic to what R is it's not intrinsic to what Python is Python's programming language first yeah. data second and then yeah. R is data first and then, and then you've got lots of programming on top um, so you end up with I guess the, the ability to make it do almost anything so it becomes mm. this very very good general purpose home yeah. for, for all of this stuff why one took off over the other? It, it probably <laughs> is the friendliness of it, you know, yeah. and, and that approach of. I think it's probably fair to say that, that typically someone with a computer science background encountering R for the first time will raise their eyebrows at the very least and go, "What on earth is this language doing? You know, this this is ridiculous." Whereas they'll come in Python and go, "I really like this. Yeah. You know, I already know it. I feel at home." So as you cross into machine learning from computer science, it's natural, yeah. natural. Yeah. One or the other. They both do very, very similar things. Yeah. Um, Python's probably f got more in the machine learning, certainly more in the cloud space. That it mm. is, you know, all the Google snippets and things are already there for you in Python because their coders use the same stuff. Whereas R, they're not. Um, whereas if you do a database, yeah, R's historically a bit stronger. Um, if you're building apps, like I said earlier, you've got Shiny, so. 
there's easier routes. You know, you either can do either. Yeah, you do anything, but there's there's a few easier steps in one or the other. You know, if you're doing hardcore machine learning, you're going to use Python probably. Um, when we're talking to data analysts that want to be a data scientist, what do you think, in your opinion, are the are the steps and how long should should what should what should a data analyst be thinking about now if he if he or she wants to become a data scientist in the future? Mm. Um, I think you have to make a decision on where you want your career to go uh, because if you're going to spend time and effort learning R and Python, then you're going to go down a particular route that is, you know, you're going to be not necessarily in front of clients and, and, and looking at top level strategy kind of stuff. You're going to be in the weeds doing coding and, and data visualization. Um, Maybe you're going to make a lot of money, so maybe you know there's you know ups and downs. But I think you need to decide where you want to go. And if you if data science is something you really want to get into, and I mean, Neil said it earlier, you just got to get into it and start doing it straight yeah. away. Um, uh, if if it was me, I you know I'm I'm teetering on on where to go myself. Um, do I try and upskill in this area? Do I need to at this point in my career? I don't know. Um, but if I was going to, it would surely you know, probably click on one of those Facebook advertisements I keep getting for 30 days and um, <laughs> become a brilliant data scientist in 30 days. So I'll give that a try and see what happens, um, which is a whole other topic, which I find that all very strange. Um, data scientist courses have sprung yeah. up. Like, uh, um, so it's, it's, I think there's a, certainly many opportunities and avenues now if you want to go down that route. Um, there's enough out there where you can do it quite easily. That, that point of deciding where you want to go is really important, I think, because I mean, we've, we've talked before about the difference between data science and data engineering. Yeah. Kind of that. Are, are you actually more like a traditional database admin, data engineer? You know, it's all about lining up the underlying data sets, which is incredibly important and what probably more companies need than the, the data science. Yeah. Um, do you, is that you? You know, are you a data viz guy? Mm. Um, you know, are you, you going to kind of push into interactive visuals and things like that, which is a huge specialism? Are you going to push into machine learning and statistical modeling? Are you going to build building apps? You get it? Or I thought that was a really good point. You know, do you want to be down in the weeds of building stuff all day, or do you want to be talking to clients? Yeah. Because you probably can't do both yeah. as mm. much as you'd like to. Yeah. So maybe you only need superficial is the wrong word, but you know, more more of a, a passing familiarity with how all this stuff works so that yeah. you can talk to marketing directors and CEOs and people about it knowledgeably, but you're not day to day in a TensorFlow model trying to tune the thing so that it recognises a picture of whatever it's supposed to recognise a picture of. Yeah. You know, there, there's it's such a broad sweep of stuff that, yeah. that you need to you need to pick somewhere. But the start absolutely is getting in and seeing what it does. And, f and for companies that are looking to recruit and hire uh, people in data, um, what advice would you give them when it comes to starting this kind of looking at their data in, more, in, a, in a more scientific fashion? What, what, what would be the kind of key first step for any company that's looking to do that? Do you repeat the question? Well, I think the thing is, for, for, for media and advertising, 
looking at data in a more scientific fashion is a natural thing. It's a given. Mm -hmm. But there are now companies that have never really looked at their own data before mm. because they feel maybe they've never had to do that or it's not been on their agenda. Now all of a sudden it's a, it's a thing um, to make sure they make the right decisions. What, what should they be thinking about any sort of business? Well, I think there's a couple of ways of thinking about that. Um, my, my, my top level advice is, is start slowly and start small, um, baby steps. Yeah, uh, for sure, um, and work backwards from what your business problems are and what you want data to help you with. Um, so depending on, on what kind of business it is, um, you know, we, we talked about Morrison's and maybe they have issues in their supply chain, so okay, we've got an issue with our supply chain, how do we work back and solve that problem with the data that we have? Yeah. So you start there and, and, and you, you work backwards. But it's, it's, uh, it's baby steps, uh, take it easy, take it slowly, stuff is difficult. Hard. Um, it's frustrating, and um, it's difficult to find people um, that can come in and, and do a job. Um, so there's a lot going on. It's moving very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So so yeah. My, my advice is get someone in who can um, uh, view it from from uh, from a top level and understand the business and understand the requirements and then work through the technical challenges of, of bringing that to, to fruition. Okay. So, yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, you see a lot of people want to be on the bleeding edge. You know, mm. it's like we, we, want, we want the very latest, and the, the trouble with the bleeding edge is it's, it's not easy to work with, it's not established, mm. it's kind of not turned and stuff. So if, if you're nowhere, trying to jump to cutting edge machine learning is, is not gonna be helpful first thing you're going to find is your data's not all lined up so you can't actually do anything anyway right. you know so that baby steps of can you get your reporting right you know which is going to force you to get your data warehouse right mm. which is going to mean starting to talk to the right people to sort those problems out you know and then potentially you can either from your media agency or you know or a third party consultancy or whatever you can start going well there might be an interesting little stats project here you know let's take another step and take another step and, and integrate it but there's certainly trying to operate with the mature stuff that, that works is the first step rather than I want to leap to some kind of AI optimised thing because <laughs> it's so many steps from your Excel reporting workflow to AI optimised business yeah. it's just And ultimately, it's just going to frustrate, and, and you won't go anywhere. Don't waste a lot of money. Yeah. And you know, yeah. Yeah. The, the other one on that is: is anyone who is coming in from outside then saying that they have the AI solution to mm. your? No, just they just, they yeah. just don't. Um, there's a lot of kind of wrapping of open source stuff going on out there, which is so effectively free software, and people just sticking a fancy layer on it and going, "Are we?" We We've have an actual language yeah. engine. You yeah. kind of don't. You just, you just wrapped a load of, and there's a lot of geographic stuff like that. You know, it's kind of, we do this beautiful geographic analysis and mapping. And if you've got the right analyst in, they can do that for free. Yeah. You know, whereas you're buying an expensive platform. So you should be very wary of the, again, the bleeding edge platforms that claim to solve all the problems because they largely don't. Mm. Um, back to, again, to um, reporting where we started. You know, you, 
you buy a bleeding edge reporting platform, it's only got to not talk to one of your data sources and you're in real trouble. Yeah. You know, sort of a turnkey, oh yeah, it just does everything. Except that affiliate that we're running over there, and now yeah. I can't get that affiliate in my reporting, <laughs> and this whole fancy system isn't working. There's always affiliates yeah. too. It is always affiliates because there's right. millions of them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the fancy solution only has to not do one or two things. Whereas if you're building it in blocks and building some knowledge in your business and your department, you can solve those problems. If you're just saying, you know, we'll throw money at this third party yeah. to solve it, if they don't solve all of it. What do you see then as the biggest challenges for a media agency over the next, let's say, five years? Um, Everyone's going in-house. <laughs> no, on trends like that, yeah, actually, it's a really big thing. Um, it's interesting you say that. There's a lot of trend towards kind of digital in-housing now. Um, rightly, in a lot of cases, I have to say. Because, you know, when, when you're talking about you want to integrate it through your website properly mm. and your website's in-house. Yeah. You, you want as few barriers in that as possible. So, yeah, we're talking a lot about how we not attempt to stop that trend, but how do you, how do you shape yourself around it and work yeah. with it? And, and, and that's, that's, that's a really big one. I think, I think it's funny because I think data and analytics uh, is a strange one. That, um, I was at a, a Google thing a couple of years ago and they were talking about this, this topic the suggestion was that things like page search and SEO are moving in-house, but things like data and analytics, uh, which if you ingrain yourself with a client in that way, with their data and their analytics, and you become like a um, holder of that for the, for the client, if you like, um, it's then much harder to move that in-house because you've built up such a big core kind of team, people handling your data and analytics in this agency, it's very hard to get away from that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's good news for, at least for data analysis. No, I think that that's fair. Um, certainly when, when you try and take, you know, above the line, so tele, radio, press, you know, media modeling in the house, it's incredibly mm. difficult because yeah. there's very few people who, who have that kind of base knowledge of how that works and, mm. and it helps to work across a lot of clients and it helps to see the problem over and over and over again. Mm. You know, it's, it's something very often I've seen academics struggle with actually. Where, where you go, I can build a regression model so I can explain what TV's doing to the sales line. And you go, yeah, not unless you've done it five or ten times before you haven't. Because yeah. it's not as simple as that. You, know, you, you build your model and it just doesn't work. Yeah, and, you, and you've, you've, you've been there, done it you know, hundreds of times, hundreds of clients. So you've probably made a lot of those mistakes yeah. time and time again to, to learn from them and get it right. But well, you, you've got a head full of shortcuts. Though, yeah. I know what telly generally looks like in a sales line. I know what I'm looking for. Mm. Whereas if you, you kind of mix with cold, you don't have that background of shortcuts. You'll get there, but it's going to take you an awful lot longer. Yeah. Whereas a, an analyst who's done this again and again and again, but getting that analyst into your business who's done it again and again and again is difficult. You know, it's, it's rare. And that's still a big ch challenge for, I guess, any advertiser that's on TV and is on radio and press. How is that offline media driving digital traffic? Mm -hmm. How are people getting to my website? Is it this TV advert? Is it this radio? Is it a mixture of all of that and the out of home and everything else? That's, that still must be a, a huge challenge for you. 
um, as, a, as, a, yeah, as an that's, agent. That's, that's the kind of metrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thirty strong team in London <laughs> doing that, um, and it still exists. That's why you know. But we're right back around. is it getting better? Is it getting easier? You know, we we met five years ago, and it was a challenge then. Is that is that still an issue? Is it still a challenge for you? Um, the data flows are getting easier. Yeah. You can do it faster. You can repeat it better. Um, the core problem of, of can you point a machine learning algorithm at, at the sales line for a company and say, tell me, you know, in a, in a clean and consistent and you're not going to go wrong way, how my media are driving that line? No. Yeah. You still need an analyst to do it. There's, there's not an algorithm that will do it. There's some really cool algorithms that will put you in a ballpark in a way you didn't used to be able to. Mm. So we, we can take a um, Google traffic line yeah. and media activity and kind of throw it into the box and go, put, put me in the right ballpark for what marketing yeah. ROI probably is. And it will do it, mm. mostly. Mm. But the kind of, we're getting it right to within a couple of percent and we can really explain why this line's moving now. We still need an analyst to take it apart. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with, with attribution and, and um, you know ultimately we're trying to put numbers against you know, moments in someone's life that affect how they're behaving at that particular time and that's super difficult um, and I don't think you know I don't think that challenge is, is really uh, spoken about enough because we're what, what, what made you decide to buy that product? <laughs> Why did you click on that? Uh, yeah. yeah. You can't put numbers to that, really. Yes, there's some great stuff going on, and um, you know, there's a lot of helpful data. I'm not saying there's not, but uh, ultimately, like you know, we have to be very careful. It's still bad to if we're doing something, it's better than nothing. I, I agree, yeah. and I 100 percent agree. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's always ends up with like <laughs> quite heavily caveated and uh, you know we have to take this into consideration and that into consideration always. It's also you know we were talking about it just before we start filming that um, there, there's a there's still a big space for doing it the old-fashioned way mm. of you can have all these fancy you know media ROI attribution algorithms and econometrics and, and all the rest of it and in the end one of the most reliable ways to find out whether something's working is turn it off. <laughs> you know, it got literally, and Google now are pushing that. They've made some yeah. tools to, to, to help us to do that more easily. So, you know, you don't have to destroy your whole pay-per-click campaign. You can turn it off in a city and watch yeah. that city. Yeah. You know, you can do it on a small scale. You can do it with the display ads. You know, you, you can run some ads which are gifted to a charity. So you're, you're getting a data stream for what ads do when they're not actually advertising your company. Do they look like they're selling a product or do they not? Yeah. And... There's a, there's a huge space still, even amongst all the clever algorithms, for well-structured testing strategies where you turn things on and off and turn them up and down and see if anything yeah. happens. Yeah. You need to monitor them, right? But in the end, that's, you know, that's the best evidence. That's, yeah. you know, if you were publishing in a medical journal, you'd be doing testing control on a, yeah. on a cohort of people. And yeah. You would give some the medicine and not others. And that's still the best evidence we have. Mm -hmm.